A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. This is the game day podcast from TalkSport with me, Alex Crook. Darren Lewis, assistant editor of the Daily Mirror and former England World Cup winger Trevor Sinclair. With little over a week to go until the women's Euros begin and with a transfer window now in full swing, plenty to get our teeth into in the next hour or so. Could Cristiano Ronaldo really leave Manchester United? Where does Calvin Phillips fit in at City? And another big name departure at Chelsea. Plus, Lucy Ward joins us to look ahead to the Lionesses' final warm-up game. And Darren tells us why only self-policing could change the culture of discrimination inside sports dressing rooms. All that on the podcast that never takes a summer break. This is Game Day from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Well, considering it's the off-season, so much to talk about in the company of Trevor Sinclair, former England midfielder, and Darren Lewis as well. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Um, let's start with Chelsea, shall we? Seems to be a different story coming out of Stamford Bridge every day. Monday morning, bombshell announcement. Petr Cech ending his long association uh, with the club in a statement uh, on the Chelsea website. Cech said it's been a huge privilege to perform uh, the role of technical director for the last three years. With the club under new ownership, I feel now is the right time for me to step aside. I'm pleased the club is now in an excellent position with the new owners and confident of its future success both on and off the pitch. So was it his decision, Darren Lewis, or was he pushed? I think it might well be a bit of both. Um, I think the first thing to talk about in terms of Czech is that he was an exceptional goalkeeper for Chelsea, one of the best goalkeepers in the world. He was a goalkeeper for Sparta Prague, his previous club, when he was 16 years of age. Um, and they brought him in to replace Kudicini, Carlo Kudicini, who was no mean goalkeeper himself. And Czech was a legend. He established himself as a legend on the pitch. Off the pitch, he was uh, very, very instrumental in attracting players to the club, in working with Marina Granovskaya to um, seal contract deals. And I think as far as he was concerned, he probably saw the writing on the wall with Todd Bowley wanting to be very hands-on as he is with a couple of his other franchises and decided, you know what, I think I'm going to just leave it to him. So he's gone on his terms, it would appear. And All of this to me, and and Trevor knows about the inner workings of clubs uh, far better from a player's perspective, it piles for me a lot of pressure on Todd Bowley. If you're letting that amount of expertise leave the club, you better be good. You have to be good. 
particularly when you're competing with clubs like Liverpool and Chelsea and now Spurs, all of whom have got their recruitment spot on. Chelsea were a well-oiled machine under Granoff Sky, under Bruce Buck, and obviously latterly with Petr Cech. If Todd Bowley's going to take over, he, he's going to have to get a lot right in a very short space of time. The timing seems odd to me, Trevor. I understand that when a new owner comes in, that they maybe want to uh, get rid of the old guard and bring in their own people. But we're right in the middle of a very important transfer window for Chelsea. We've seen key players leave. Uh, there are other players there maybe coming to the veteran stage of their career. They need goals up front. They need to almost completely rebuild the back line, certainly in the central defensive areas. Why not wait to make these changes until after the transfer window is closed? get through the summer and then you've got six months for your new team to come in and, and really get used to the workings of the Premier League, which is very different English football uh, to working in American sports, which obviously is where Todd Bowley's expertise lies. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I couldn't agree with you more there, Crookie. You, when you look at what Petr Cech has brought to Chelsea, as Darren mentioned, as a player, absolutely iconic player for them, superb um, and he had the accident and came back and, and, and rediscovered his, his form. Um, he's there as, a, as a, a guardian, I suppose, of the standards at Chelsea. And he realises the standards that are expected from players that are being brought to the club. And he's a, well, is he a consultant? Is he, is he an advisor? You know, technical. He's, he's all of that. Plus, um, you think about how reliable he is. You know, you talk about goalkeepers, probably one of their biggest assets is their reliability. He's a really liable person uh, at the football club, professional, um, and the way that he's overseen some of the um, transfers in and out of Chelsea over the last five or six years has been superb. So, yeah, the timing is terrible. It couldn't, it couldn't have been worse. And you would say, you know, if, if anything, Todd Bowley needs an advisor at the moment. And, you know, I don't think you could get probably a more reliable advisor at Chelsea Football Club, knowing the ins and outs of the football club, than Petr Cech. So, for me, it's a, it's a real big blow for Chelsea, this is. Do you think he will be on the radar, Petr Cech, Darren, of other Premier League clubs? Maybe people like Manchester United who are looking for a bit of football expertise in the boardroom? Well, he should be on the one hand. The only thing I would say is that he has a long association with Chelsea as being a Chelsea man. Is one thing being um, a good administrator, but he is a Chelsea man. Again, I, I, I differ to, to Trevor on this because maybe footballers, football people have a different perspective on this. But for me, I just don't know if it would sit right. Yeah, well, I, I just think that, yeah, I, I can understand the, the rivalry there. Um, but if you're getting a good man into the football club who's got great experience and he understands the, the rigours and, and what's expected in the Premier League, I don't, I don't think it matters uh, what your allegiances are with, whether they're with Chelsea, whether they're another club. If you can get a best in class or one of the best in class in that part of the industry, why not get him? Why not recruit him? And just going back to, you know, obviously Marina's not there as well. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, quite in, I'm quite intrigued by who is now going to be advising and consulting um, Todd Bowley because you've got two big people involved in a lot of the transfers that were going on at Chelsea. And if both of them have gone with the new ownership, uh, it'd be interesting to see who's advising them and what players they do get in. 
On the subject of best in class and, and club rivalries aside, Cristiano Ronaldo linked with Chelsea over the course of the weekend. We know there was a meeting between his agent, the super agent, George Mendes, and Todd Bowley, during which we understand uh, Cristiano's name and the, the prospect of a move to Stamford Bridge was mentioned. Uh, Manchester United, I'm told, they're relaxed about this situation. They are not open to offers for Ronaldo. They expect him to stay at Old Trafford and see out the final year of his contract. I think there's a suspicion this is just Mendes possibly meddling for his own means. Where do you stand on it, Darren Lewis? Are you confident that Ronaldo will still be a Manchester United player come September the 1st? You know, if Man United had finished in the top four and had had a great season last season and had brought reinforcements in to match the calibre of the players that City, Liverpool and... Arsenal even have done so far in this window. I probably would have been confident of him staying. The smoke signals with Ronaldo, smoke signals have invariably turn out to be a fire. Um, and uh, I, I, I have a feeling I was going to choose my words here, but I'm not going to. United had a shocking season last season. So on what basis? Yeah, they can say, well, he's under contract. But as we all know, if Ronaldo wants to force his way out of a situation, Ronaldo forces his way out of, uh, out of a situation. And nothing about the United setup right now tells me that he has any great desire to remain there. Also, on top of all of that, he is a very vocal individual. If he wants to shatter these rumours, he could have done it with a social media post that would have ended it all. And he hasn't yet done that. Until he does that, I think that there is the possibility he could leave. Do you not think, Trevor, this potentially is just Ronaldo frustrated, as Darren says, with a lack of transfer activity? Maybe the, the Glazer owner's not matching his ambitions. Is this a warning sign to Manchester United get your house in order get some world class players to come and compliment me or I might leave yes it is and uh, I think it's a strong one as well and as Darren said there if he wanted to come out and, and, and put this to bed he could quite easily have done that he's got 300 million followers uh, over social media if not more um, he's agitated and I, I think he's got every right to be agitated he scored 18 Premier League goals finished third in the Golden Boot race last season and his team in, in a lot of ways, for their standards, sucked. So um, I think there's a good chance that he'll leave. I really do. I, I don't think the club, uh, with their recruitment policy that's in place at the moment, have been successful. They've still yet to get anyone in of any kind of elk. And, um, you know, as, uh, as, as Darren said, you know, I think he, this is um, Ronaldo being Keith Flint and being the fire starter. And, you know, once people realise that Ronaldo is available... I think there'll be a lot of takers because even though he was in a poor team last season, still managing to get 18 goals and Andy down tools a little bit towards the end as well. I think that shows the, the quality that he still retains. And, uh, you know, obviously from a mer merchandise and marketing point of view, he's a dream for any football club to accept. You wonder if the signing of uh, Frankie de Jong will be enough to appease Ronaldo, at least in the short term. My understanding on that one is that Manchester United want to get the deal over the line by Thursday, June the 30th. Even, even that deal. I mean, De Jong doesn't want to come. I, you know, sometimes you have to listen to what people are saying to you. And De Jong has described Barcelona as his dream club. Mm. United are having to throw huge sums of money at this boy to persuade him to come. And that, to me, says everything. Right now, United are not a good proposition. But I've said this many times, Darren. And, you, you, you know, you get, you're hearing stories now where... Um, Ten Hag's leaving messages and the assistant coach is leaving you know Steve McLaren's leaving messages 
and players are signing for other clubs without getting back to Manchester United. I mean, for a Manchester United fan, that is brutal to listen to and hear. So brutal. What, why, what, why, is, why is that, Darren? Is it, is it just because they've been mismanaged for a number of years? Is it because they haven't got Champions League football? Is it because they haven't got the allure of Sir Alex Ferguson anymore? Or is it a combination of all of those factors? I think it's a combination. I mean, look, if it was the fact that they hadn't... They'd, Played well last season, but just missed out on Champions League football and there were a viable proposition to get back into the top four. I think they'd have signed players by now. But I think people look at what happened last season. They look at the fact that good players lose their form once they go to United. They look at the fact that uh, you've got people within the club admitting to all of the failures. You look at the fact that they could have had Conti. They decided that they didn't want him. The jury is very much with respect to Ten Hag because you have to respect what he's done in Dutch football. But <clears throat> Premier League is a very different beast. And I'm not talking about that with any kind of insularity whatsoever. But Conte has established himself in Italy and in the Premier League with Chelsea. You just don't know what you're getting from Ten Hag. So the jury is out. And I think a lot of players decide, you know what, I'm going to go to a club that is already has a culture of winning, already has a feel-good factor, has managers that I know can compete, have competed, have won silverware in the Premier League. That's why United are not recruiting elite players. And it's the reason why they are having to throw inordinate amounts of money at even... It's not the right way, though, it's not the right way, though is it? You know, no, it's huge not. amounts of money. Why don't you get a proper project in, in place and then get your manager, who is a salesman, because that's his job. It's to sell the football club and the, and the plan and, the, and, and the, the road ahead to players in the right way without having to spend loads of money and throw loads of money at players. If you do it the right way, it'll take longer, but it'll be more lasting. If you do it the wrong way by throwing money at it, you're never going to get to the end. You're never going to get to the end game. Cheers for cheering up the Manchester United fan base, guys. Uh, really happy with that. Um, I, I guess the Manchester United situation made it an easy decision for Calvin Phillips because I think there were conversations between United and his advisors. As a Leeds boy, a lifelong Leeds fan, I don't think that was ever seriously on the table. But if it was Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson, I think he would have had a bigger decision to make. As it is, we know he's off to Trevor's beloved Manchester City. Where does he fit in? Trevor, because obviously he's being signed as a replacement mm-hmm. for Fernandinho. Um, he will be going up against Rodri for that holding midfield role. For me, at the moment, he isn't on the same level as Rodri. Do you understand the signing? I understand the signing. Um, I, I'm surprised. I've got to be. I've got to be honest because when you look at the stats for Calvin Phillips, and I know he's a holding midfielder, he doesn't score and assist a lot of goals. Um, season 21-22 uh, was, was poor for him you know 20, 20 games no assists no goals but if you look back to his first season in the Premier League since Leeds got promoted 29 games one goal and one assist Fernandinho scored more than that Rodri scores more than that I think I look at the, the quality of the three and you would put you know at their pump you would put Calvin Phillips third um, and actually if you look at his overall output in the last 12-18 months I think it's the four or five Euro games that have stood out and, and probably the main game. So I think he's a fortunate boy. I think the jury's still out whether he's got the qualities to step up to the kind of standard that we see Rodri put in week in, week out. Um, but I think you're right with your analysis. He's going to go and take the place of Fernandinho, a second choice holding midfielder, unless Pep decides to change the formation and, and they play with a, a holding two. But I can't see him starting a lot of goal, games, especially the big games, ahead of Rodri. 
To their credit, Darren, Manchester City, for all their wealth, have regularly uh, invested in English talent. But for every Raheem Sterling, there's a, a Fabian Delph. For every uh, Jack Grealish, there, there's a Scott Sinclair. Is there a danger uh, that Calvin Phillips could find himself in the latter category? No, I think he's a good player. Mm. Um, I, and I think that when you're a player who makes a step up from being a good player in a mid-ranking side, you arrive with the hunger to want to show you're worth the money. And so I think his attitude would be right. I think that obviously the fitness, um, the medical facilities at City are best in class. So I wonder if they may help him in terms of being able to sustain his fitness. Um, And I think the game management with Calvin Phillips will be key to ensuring that as well. Yes, I agree. He's not, at the class, at the level of uh, Rodri. But there's time for him to get there. There, And and certainly you're working with a guy who knows all about getting players to that level. Phillips knows that he, if he were to join a club where he wouldn't play regular first-team football, his World Cup ambitions, his international ambitions would be in jeopardy. So I don't think he goes as... as In theory, on paper, he is a second choice to Rodri. But I have a sneaking suspicion, as you were saying, Trevor, that Guardiola may change the way he plays next season. Mm. Alvarez, the reigning South American player of the year, Julian Alvarez, he comes to play. Haaland Mm. comes to play. I think we'll see a lot more of Jack Grealish next season as well. I think in some of the... um, I think you'll look at some of the games where they drop points against sides you wouldn't expect them to. And I think he might well play with a two in front of the back four as a screen just to make sure that they don't slip up in areas that... And let the full-backs whack on. Absolutely. Overload on the wide areas. But I could see a scenario where you've got that two in front of the back four. You've got those full-backs bombing on. You've got Grealish and Alvarez either side of, say, uh, who would play just behind Haaland? Which of the creative players? Maybe even <laughs> Too many. Well, exactly. <laughs> that's, that, that's what you're looking at. So, Crooked, don't look so peeved off. <laughs> <laughs> I say, uh, what I do think is that Phillips will have sat down with Guardiola and one of the uppermost questions will be, Will I play? Yeah, yeah. And I think he would have spoke to Gareth as well because obviously it's a huge club, a huge move for him. Uh, an important time in his career, 26 years old. Um, but just going back on what I said, because I came across a little bit negative about Calvin Phillips. Calvin Phillips is a man. And if you're in the trenches, you want him next to you because you know he's not going to let you down. He's going to give you everything. Uh, he reads the game unbelievably well out of possession on that transition as well. So I think his IQ in football is high. Uh, and, you know, when you've got a player with a good IQ and who's committed, as Darren said, he's going to a huge club, he wants to make his mark. When you've got a high IQ player who's committed, he's going to find a way to be successful at Manchester City. And I fully expect him to make that adjustment and hopefully uh, be part of a successful future for the club. Uh, one in, one out at Manchester City. Gabriel Jesus agreeing a five-year contract with Arsenal, £45 million the fee. Should Arsenal fans be excited about this signing, Darren? Yes and no. Um... The thing that fascinates me the most about Arsenal is that they sign a lot of attractive footballers. I mean, clearly they're good-looking boys anyway, but I mean, in terms of... That's why Trevor never went to Arsenal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll never sign for Arsenal. Um, The problem for me is that Arsenal lacks steel. Arsenal have individually decent players in midfield and at the back, but there isn't a, a, a kind of 
cohesion between the midfield and the defence that tells me that there is a platform for these attractive players to build on. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, Jesus is not a point man. Jesus prefers to play on the wide, on the right of a three-man attack. So it tells me that they must surely be looking for another striker. If you look at his when, where he plays for Brazil, when he plays in the centre-forward position, he doesn't score that many goals. He's much better playing from the right-sided position where Saka likes to play. Um, so it's an intriguing signing more than anything else because his goal return is good. It's decent, but he doesn't play through the middle. So how will Arsenal play next season? That'll be interesting. Especially as they're still trying to sign Rafinha as well. That seems an awful lot of similar players players, when you look at Martinelli and Saka and Erdegaard. I mean, where does Emil Smith throw Trevor, who couldn't get a game regularly at the end of last season fit in? Should he be worried about his position? I would say he should be concerned and uh, doing everything he can before he goes back to pre-season to make sure he's in the best condition he can be to give himself a good chance of uh, forcing his way into the team pre-season. And then if you have a good pre-season, you can build your season from there. We're just going back to Jesus. I mean, talk about resilience uh, and, and professionalism because he has missed a lot of games. He has been left out in a lot of big games for Manchester City, um, but he's always available. I think Manchester City have, have had the boy version of uh, Jesus. And I think Arsenal are very, not fortunate, because I think Arteta knows, the, knows him as a, as a player and as a person. But I think Arsenal are going to get the man version of uh, Gabriel Jesus and I think he's going to be outstanding. He's 24 years old. Um, I think he's, uh, he's, we've seen him growing up, you know, from the, the streets of Brazil. We've seen him come to the Premier League as a, as a young boy and, and mature and develop. And I think the last couple of months of the season, I've just seen a slight difference in his aggression and retaining possession and he's back with his back to goal, as Darren was just mentioning there in that number nine position. I think Arteta is going to try and um, convince him to play in that position, stick his big, strong, Glutamus Maximus into the defenders, protect the ball and then get into areas where he's going to get them opportunities. And I think he's got every chance of being massively successful. And you know how important the number nine is at Arsenal. I think he, he could quite well become a real legend at the club. I don't know why, but I just felt the need to let out a big as you were speaking there <laughs> about Gabriel Jesus. Um, so many transfer stories uh, around over the course of the last few days. We could almost do a whole podcast on it, but very quickly, Darren Lewis, West Ham, I know you're closely associated with the club. Uh, back in talks with Jesse Lingard, big admirers as well, I understand, in Arno Danjuma, the former Bournemouth player, uh, Champions League semi-finalist with Villarreal last season. How likely are either of those to arrive at the club, do you think? Yeah, both of them are likely. I'd say Danjuma rather than Lingard because Lingard has uh, obviously a free agent. The only thing I'd say about Lingard is I expected a lot more people to be beating down his door. And that hasn't been... I would imagine mm-hmm. he expected a lot more people to be beating, be beating down his door. I, and I expected him to have been snapped up already given that he is a free transfer. Um, I... <sighs> It was wonderful for West Ham, as we all know, first time round. How much better would they have been had he stayed there and played European football for them and given them that depth in their attack last season? I think it'd be a good signing for them. There were periods where they lacked creativity in the final third. And I hope now he makes a good decision because he he, he made... He trusted Ole Gunnar last year who said he would get game time and he didn't and he was let down big time. I think as far as he is concerned now, this this decision he makes now is key and I think he works well in a West Ham side that are revolving 
for a West Ham boss in David Moyes who is going places with the club. And I think they should sign Arnadan Juma. He knows where the goal is. He's found his stride at Villarreal. He is a very classy player. I think the pair of those two players would improve West Ham big time. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. It's not often, even in the off-season, that a rugby union story knocks football off the back pages, but that's exactly what happened uh, this weekend. Uh, their explosive interview in the Mail on Sunday with the former England centre, uh, Luther Burrell. He joined us on the boot room on Sunday night, spoke so bravely, so candidly, so honestly uh, about his experiences of so-called banter um, in dressing rooms, uh, racist remarks, comments um, about fried chicken, about slavery, and various other um, really unappetising comments that he just had to laugh and dismiss as banter. He's spoken out now. The RFU have released a statement saying they're disturbed about his experiences. They applaud Lufa uh, for speaking out. Now, I know this isn't a rugby podcast, but uh, Trevor, I wanted to ask you, as someone who's been in and around yeah. football dressing rooms for a long time, is this a RFU problem or is this a sport problem in general? Have you been in dressing rooms where similar comments have been made and you, as a black player, have had to laugh them off as banter? Listen, remember, you've got to remember, Cookie, I started playing in the 80s, professional football as a 16-year-old. So, of course, I've heard what, what um, Luther's come out with. But in more recent times, before I retired, it, it become less and less. And I think you, you just have to look at the percentage of black players in squads and, and you understand why it wouldn't be accepted because you've got big personalities, you've got, um, you've got teams full of diversity. And for that reason, I think in the ch- dressing room especially, it's unacceptable to be talking like that, whether it's in banter or whether it's, you know, just passing. Um, but are we surprised? Come on, Cookie, you look at what happened with cricket, you look at what, what's happening now with rugby, this is our society. You know, we've got a lot of slavery um, engraved in our history and we've got a lot of racial aggravated aggravation um, engraved in our history. And it's not just going to disappear. Now, I think football probably 
is ahead of both cricket and rugby because of the the percentage of black and, and ethnic minorities within the sports. Um, but it's unacceptable, and you know, Luther's putting himself on the line here because we've seen how this can be spun and and, and, and pushed on Luther because he's coming towards the end of his career, and you know, all the rest of it, all these different narratives that are going to come out. I applaud him because I think if it can make, and this is what he says in the article, he said if it can make things easier and better for the new generation of players. Now, when you start having kids and, and things like that, you realise you've got a massive responsibility to do these things and put yourself up there on that pedestal, so to speak, and, and, and be, be honest and say how it is. And uh, yeah, I applaud him. I hope uh, the RFU do take this seriously and do put things in place to make sure that this is not accepted. And uh, you know what? I'd like to... I, I, not that I'd, I want someone to be the scapegoat, but I'd like people to come out and say, listen, I was part of that, rather than, that, rather than Luther have to name players. I'd rather people come out and say, you know what, I'm embarrassed, I was part of that, I, I regret what was there, I didn't realise how hurtful and, 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 and bad that was, and uh, you know, I'm going to come clean and hopefully we can try and clean the sport up together as a team, not just the black players coming out and, 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 and saying what's been going on. I did ask him that question actually on Sunday night on the boot room and he said that he, he didn't want to name names to the RFU. He didn't want it to become a witch hunt. He did say at that stage that uh, nobody who had made those type of comments so far has reached out. Obviously, that may change in the coming days. Interesting point that Trevor makes, Darren, about the differences between rugby and, and cricket and football because one of the quotes uh, in the interview in the Mail on Sunday uh, was that rugby has a class problem. And I guess the difference between a rugby dressing room and a football dressing room is that in football you get more uh, black players from working class backgrounds uh, and therefore maybe that's why we don't have the issues in, in football that we have in rug rugby. Or do you think we do and they've just not come to the surface yet? There is a culture within sport that what happens in the dressing room stays in the dressing room. And that's true of any sport right across the board. And what happens when it surfaces in one sport is that the other sport just keeps its head down because they know they can't put their heads above the parapet. And some of the things of the things that Luther was saying, you could, it didn't really matter what sport you were talking about because you could have picked them up and put them into any sport. We've mm -hmm. seen so much stuff over the years from dressing rooms around the country, coaches who use offensive language uh, towards kids, basically kids, teenage kids, Kids were too young and too scared to say anything. Um, listen, I'm not, I don't have to tiptoe around the fact that the FA banned Peter Beardsley at Newcastle because of his treatment towards um, underage, underage, they, 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 younger players, just to be clear, young, they were under 23 players at, at the club. Um, and there were allegations, which Peter Beardsley denied, to be clear, of racism. And there are lots of clubs up and down the country where players are subject to racist abuse. But like Luther Burrell says, they are too scared to talk about it. And I think there's a bit of a delusion in football that football is better than rugby because it's not. I think there's a delusion that, you know, football is better than cricket and whatever else. Football has a racism crisis. And I think all of these sports, until you get people at the top of the game who are black, until you get a situation where... I mean, that's, uh, are, we not, Darren, are we not just a reflection of the country? Each individual... Yeah, but, but I think that's a cop-out, uh, Trev. I still think that's a cop-out. Because if, if, somebody, if you it, it, it were in the office... And you were, say, um, racially abusive or sexually abusive towards somebody, you couldn't turn around and say, well, that's a, 
reflection of the country. There are there are structures in place to basically hammer you and make sure that you don't have your job anymore. Mm. Um, and, and I think too many people say, oh, well, we're in a sexist or racist society, so it goes on. And that abdicate, that takes away responsibility for actually dealing with the problem. I think individually you've got to sort your own house out as a sport, as a federation, as a governing body. But I think the, 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 the overriding governing body, the, the government, I think that, that we are a reflection of that individually. As it, as you, you micromanage each sport. We are a, micro, we are a, a, a reflection of the, the, the overriding governing body, and that is the government. See, I did, uh, what, what I would say about it is this. The, the government run the country. There are specific bodies who run sport, who run mm-hmm. football, who run cricket, who run rugby. And all of those bodies have a responsibility to have a framework in place where if somebody is feeling vulnerable, they can do something about it. But the truth is that we can sit here and call for this and call for that. But the truth is that within those dressing rooms, there are codes, unwritten codes of omerta, that you don't come out and speak about this or that. Because if you do, you'll find yourself exiled. You'll Mm. find yourself out of the game. This has gone on for 50 years. You know black players. that You you said you started in the 80s. You know that there are players who are no longer in the game because they weren't having it. And they spoke up for themselves. And they were dismissed as having an attitude problem. People didn't want to talk to them. People didn't want to be seen with them. That's Mm. what's happening in cricket and and, and rugby. And we're deluding ourselves if we think there is a magic bullet to actually solve this. It's the same for women in sport and, and, and in business, you know, if you say something and you're not seen to play along with it and laugh it off and, you know, show that it doesn't really bother you when in fact you go and you sit in the car after work and you cry because you don't know how you're going to do it or you take a deep breath before you come into work in the morning because you know you're going to have seven, eight hours of it. You know, there is no magic bullet for that. It's a culture change. And the only thing that is going to change that is when the new generation come in and the new generation start to say with their chest out, I'm not having it. And I'm too mm. good for you to throw me out of the team. So what are you going to do? Mm. And then you're going to have to change it. But that's going to take courage. It's going to take guts. And it's going to take people to be on their sides. And the more that people like Lufus speak yeah. out, and uh, as he did over the weekend, than anybody who hasn't uh, heard the interview on The Boot Room, it's in the second hour of the show. You can find it uh, via the Listen Again section on the TalkSport website. The more that people like Lufus are not afraid to put their head uh, above the parapet, uh, the better things will become. We've got I'll a long one, way to I go. Think, I'll tell you one, one quick thing, and this is true always. Silence is complicity. And I think very, very often we are all in the, at least once everybody is in the company of somebody who makes a joke that they don't pull their, pers- their person mm-hmm. up for. And they should, yeah. whether it's racist, whether it's sexist, whatever. And until we all start to police ourselves and we all start to say, no, 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 what's the matter with you? You can't say that. Mm. So that's when you're going to start to change things. We can say that the FA should do this, the RFU should do that, the cricket should do that. We, have, we are the they. We have to start looking at ourselves. Did you pull up Trevor when Trevor made that joke? Did you pull up such and such when he said, oh, you don't need, oh, you don't need Sun Factor, you know, look, or whatever. Mm. You know, did you pull the person up? Did you, you might have felt you wanted to, but you were too scared. But when you actually make that leap to say, I'm sorry, you can't say that. No, no that's not funny. I'm not having that. 
then you're going to start to change it. But at the moment, I see this in 22 years in sport, I see this many, many times. Someone says something racist, everyone says it's terrible. The FA should do this. So I've done it myself. But the truth is that we have to change our own culture. If we do that, then we got a chance. It just shows you when they think forward and passing forward and moving the ball quickly, they have the players that can hurt any team in these Euros, the, the likes of Hemp, who, and she's just a super spark, isn't she, Lauren Hemp, on that left-hand side. Just uh, a moment now in preparation for the Euro, so we'll stay grounded. We know where we want to go to. There are many good things, but also some things that we really want to improve. It's so exciting. Like, you know, I can't tell you how excited everybody is and, and how much everybody just wants to be involved in this squad and this journey, really. It's getting closer. There's a lot more pressure on these players. And this is what I spoke about before. Who can step up when it really matters? I feel like, um, for me, pressure and the competitiveness makes me a better player. And now England are on the counter-attack. Hepford's got two in the middle to aim at! We're in a great place. We've got a great set of coaching staff and a great team around me. And for me personally, I feel confident. England expects, and those expectations get ever higher going into Euro 2022. Uh, what a victory for the Lionesses. 5-1 winners against the Netherlands in their second uh, Euro 2022. 22 warm-up match. They came from behind uh, to win that game. Lucy Ward, part of the TalkSport commentary team, uh, joins us now. Uh, Lucy, have you come back down to earth yet after what you witnessed? Uh, it, it was crackers, actually, Crook. It was it, it, a typical Ellen Road atmosphere, but there was only like 20,000 in there, so they made a lot of noise. But yeah, good second-half performance. I'm not particularly sure about the first half, but second half was uh, w- w- was definitely one to work on, work, you know, go, go on to the uh, Euros with. I think it, I'm right in saying it was the first time um, under the new coach that they've uh, actually won a game uh, from behind. So that's a, a big positive, obviously five goals as well. I did see a tweet from a national television broadcaster uh, saying it's coming home. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no. Is, is that the biggest danger that the people are going to get carried away? How, how do we keep uh, the England players grounded after such well, a fantastic victory? Yeah, I mean, uh, Vigman's good because she she had a six-month lead-up with the Netherlands in for 2017 and won it on home ground. And I was there, and it was crackers. The the, the Dutch supporters were mental everywhere. That you know that they, they uh, really made the most of it. So, but she kept her team in a certain zone and just let everybody else get carried away. And I think if she, she's had experience of that, that she's won it with a with a with a home nation that's that you know that's hosted the tournament. So I think that's our best bet um, is is Vigman's experience because I tell you what people were getting carried away in Ellen Road and and the, I, I include the players in that because you know it was a, it was a sensational second half performance. Eid coming off the bench, second half scoring a brace. Uh, how much has she done her chances uh, to get in a starting lineup, or is, was that just a cameo role and kind of a highlight for her? Yeah, I think Trevor. Um, Beth Mead is probably her her situation. She didn't get picked for the Olympics, which was ridiculous to start with. Um, but I think she's coming to this season, or last season, determined to sort of prove herself right rather than proving people wrong that that she is. I mean, it's she's crazy because when she was at Sunderland as a kid, 
she just scored goals for fun. When, when the certain players who can be in the right place at the right time all the time as a nine. She went to Arsenal and 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 obviously, you know, you, you're not the top dog there at Arsenal. So she had to sort of change the game a little bit and, and, and play as a wide player. But then that still means that instinct when she's in front of goal is still always there. So she's yeah. adapted her game. And I think I think she'll start on the right and I think that Hemp will start on the left. I was a frustrated centre forward all my career, Lucy. So I know how she feels. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> What's the latest on Ellen White, Lucy? Obviously, having to miss these first couple of warm-up games with, with COVID, is she any nearer to returning to the squad? Yeah, I think I think she's due back this week. I, I, I'm, I'd be surprised if she was involved in the in the Switzerland game, but um, again, another one that um, needs to be around. I mean, she. She hardly played for Man City. I, I think people have talked about her form this season, but actually she didn't really get on the pitch that much to, to show any sort of form, apart from for England, where she scored loads of goals. So, you know, make of that what you will. I, I do think that, she, that there's certain players at Man City who have not had the, the, the best seasons just simply because it just didn't seem to work at, at, at times um, up towards the end of the season. But she's so important because another one, WSL is a million miles away from these international tournaments. You know, you, we can see that with the way that Chelsea performed with the Champions Champions League, you know, against Barcelona, the way that, you know, the English teams got knocked out in, in Europe at quite early on this season. The, you know, international level and these, some of the players are playing against, the, you know, top quality. So, you know, you need the likes of Ellen White, who's had the experience in international tournaments and score goals in the most difficult thing to do in football. Obviously, with the investment that's gone into the women's game, the WSL, you know, the players coming from international um, teams into w- WSL, how much is the importance that the England players do well in this Euro? Just to keep that momentum, keep that interest from sponsors, keep everything going in the right direction for the women's game. Yeah, it, it's it's key. And you know what? It's an extra burden as well mm. for these players that they don't re- really need. I mean, I said after 2015, that the way to progress this now is get these girls' faces on adverts, get them seen them on billboards, just just like Manchester City did with their women's team. You know, nobody was interested in women's team. Man City put put them on the side of the Etihad, and all Man City fans are going, "All oh, right, they must be good then. Oh, they are good." Oh, and and the more that you see these these players, and the and then they have to back it up with performances. The more people just get used to it, and the less and less of the dinosaurs who are going, you know, I'm not. Who, who are that interested in women's football that they tweet that they're not interested in women's football. So, you know, but that's a burden. That mm. That is a, a burden. And whether the players, you know, fairly should have that burden, I'm not sure. Because, you know, like I say, so France, they crumbled under it, under it in 2019, driving the women's game forward in France. They crumbled. The Dutch thrived in 2017. You know, it, it's it's a, a test of the metal, these girls, whether you know, whether they can cope with that. And I think Beegman is key because she has to make sure that these girls, one, I'd take them all off Twitter because one thing they couldn't do is cope with someone saying they'd had a bad game in Mm. 2019. And I understand that because women's football, we were, were, and I'm guilty of this, from 2005 when I first covered and and first commentated on on women's football, you're cheerleading it because you wanted to get it to the next level. So it's been cheerleader, cheerleader for the last, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're quite good. Right, oh, you didn't play well. And the girl's like, what are you talking about? We've been cheerleading for the last four, six years. So 2019... People, more people started, you know, regular football fans started to be interested in, in, in the England women's team and then went, well, she did play well today or she was all right. And I think some of the girls psychologically struggled with that. So hopefully this tournament 
they will be in a better position to to deal should be not interested in what anybody says about them, yeah. apart from what Vigman says, but we all know that that's easier said. Than and they've got massive accounts. Just get someone to manage that for them so they don't have to Too see right. it. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, you know I, I, I get it. I get it all the time. Nowhere near. So, that, you know, and you read it, but you've got to just go, all right, you're sat at home and you've never kicked them all straight in your life. But still, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it, it isn't pleasant. No. So, like you say, the best thing, if someone else deal with the Twitter account, you get on with listening to someone who said, you, this is what I need you to yeah. do, not someone saying, you know, you're crap. Uh, Lucy, thanks for joining us. Fascinating no uh, chat. Thanks. Look ahead to the Euros as well. Uh, Switzerland against England live on TalkSport 2 this Thursday, 5 o'clock kickoff. Sam Matterface, I remember him, uh, will be part of the commentary team. The tournament gets underway next Wednesday, live on TalkSport, England against Austria. Uh, the opening match, Sam Matterface again, alongside Leanne Sanderson. Uh, Lucy and I will be part of the team uh, at Northern Ireland against Norway. That's live on TalkSport 2 on Thursday night. Uh, Northern Ireland, Austria, also live on TalkSport 2 next Monday, followed by England against Norway, live on TalkSport. And then Friday the 15th of July, it's England against Northern Ireland, live on TalkSport. Eight o'clock kickoff. Can't wait for the championships uh, to begin. Uh, that's just about all we have time for this week. Thanks uh, to Lucy Ward uh, for joining us to look ahead uh, to that final Lionesses warm-up match. Thanks also to Trevor Sinclair and uh, Darren Lewis. We'll be back later this week. Keep downloading, keep telling your friends. This is the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.